five minutes, so I'll I'll try my okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, Good morning. It's so nice to see you all today. Um, most of you know me as Tess Bradley. My given name is Mary Therese, Mary Therese Kaler. Uh, my name was given as Mary Therese, and my sister was Mary Elizabeth, and my other sister was Mary Catherine. And um, that's kind of a hint as to how I was raised. I was raised as an Irish Catholic, and um, I lived in a, I was raised in a very strong Irish Catholic family. Um, I even had an uncle who was a priest, and my parents always made sure that we went to uh, Catholic elementary schools, Catholic high schools, and I even went to a Catholic university. Uh, growing up, I was taught all my prayers, I was taught everything you needed to know about the saints. <laughs> I was taught all the rules. I was taught about God, but I never um, had a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. There's many times he came knocking at my door, and sometimes I opened the door just a crack, but I never let him um, fully enter my life until much later in my life. I remember clearly when I was 18 years old and I was at USF, uh, University of San Francisco studying, and I was taking a class called Christ's Revelation in the Church, and the professor was discussing about, this, teaching us about the, at the atonement and how Jesus Christ died for our sins so we could have everlasting life. And I remember it was like... Um, like the light clicked on for me. And I put my pen down and I looked around at everyone and thought, "Is it, did anyone just hear this or is this just me? And uh, everyone was focused on taking their notes and I just wanted to get up and talk all about it and I wanted to talk with anyone I could meet about um, the saving power of Jesus Christ, but there was no one to talk to. And so I just followed on with the world as it, as it was. A uh, couple years later, I married, I have children, finished college, and without getting into much detail, I had a quite a very difficult uh, marriage. And it was, it was my fault, and he, it was his fault. It was, just, it was just, that's just what happened. And I stayed married to him for 30 years because I believed in the sanctity of marriage. And um, so as my marriage went on, I started developing a PhD in worry. I worried all the time. I was consumed by worry and fear and anxiety, and it really overtook my life. And um, about 12 years ago, my sister-in-law gave me the devotional daily bread and I don't know if you've heard of that before, but Daily Bread. And I started reading it 12 years ago. And after about um, a month, <laughs> I, reali I realized, oh, wait a minute. I'm supposed to be opening the Bible and reading the verses from the Bible as well. So I, I found a Bible, and I started um, reading the Bible every day 
for the last 12 years. And what was really amazing how God, as I said, always knocks on your door, often knocks on your door, and sometimes we choose to answer it or not. When I finally decided to start reading the Bible, when I was reading the daily bread, (laughs) the first verse that came up was, therefore, do do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow tomorrow worries about itself. Each day has enough troubles of, of its own. And I thought, oh, my goodness, is God in my room with me right now? This is exactly what I needed to hear. And um, I started praying to God to give me guidance and strength and peace. And it it took many years to uh, obtain that, but that that was okay. Um, As I said, I had quite a very difficult marriage. And on... I remember distinctly on December 19th, uh, 2014, I was driving to school. I teach third grade. And I was overcome by this sense of peace so much that I had to stop on the side of the road and just give thanks to God and to Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit for this gift. And um, God told me, well, remember this, how you feel right now, because you are, you are going to need it. And um, exactly a week later, um, I walked into my garage, and I found my husband dead. And he, um, he ended his life by suicide, and I'm the one who found him dead in the, in the garage. And anyone who's battled with suicide or knows anyone who has ended their life from suicide knows that that's um it's nothing it's like the it's the worst it's the worst and that for me was the lowest point in my whole life was on that day Uh, i was in the depths of despair and i was confused and i just had all these questions but i was really sad and by the fact that um my husband at that time had no hope in his life and and it just hurt to just um i just pained so much for him that he felt so hopeless that he didn't know that god was with him and could give him strength so um i was walking around in the fog for about a year and a couple weeks after my husband passed um i ended up uh, taking a walk at night's ferry I'm sure some of you have been to Knights Ferry, such a beautiful place. And I went with my daughter and my and my grandchild, at, and my grandson Aaron. He's come to church with us once in a while. And as I was walking at Knights Ferry, I was consumed with the same questions that I had in my head every single day since the passing of my husband, um, such as, um, "What if I had got? What if I had opened the door five minutes earlier to the garage?" Um, why didn't I see the signs? Why wasn't I a better wife? Uh, why did he do this? I mean, all these questions that later I realized I could, I just couldn't a- ever find the answers for those. Or, I mean, or it, it, was, it was okay that I didn't know all the answers to those. And as I was walking, my daughter said, hey, look, look at, look. And so I looked up, and there was this huge boulder right in front of me, and it was about 20, and maybe some of you have seen this, the boulder was about 20 feet high, 
And then on top of that boulder was a tree. And the tree was growing on the top of the boulder. And I just looked and I, well, how can a tree grow on top of a boulder? I mean, there's no dirt. There's just this huge boulder. And then I started um, looking at the tree and I noticed how the roots were grasped on so tightly to the boulder, just like hanging on for dear life. And then I looked and I thought, oh my goodness, that's me. I'm that tree and that rock is God, is Jesus Christ. And I thought, I need to hold on to that rock. I need to hold on to God or I'm not going to get through this. And as I was looking at it, you know, from all the times of um, hearing the word throughout my life, I heard this scripture in my head that my the Lord is my rock in whom I take refuge. And at that moment, God was knocking on my door and I opened the door finally and let him in completely. And I realized in that moment, I had to give it all over to God and um, let him be in control and not me. So my favorite verse is, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God is my rock in whom I take refuge. And I try to live by that daily. Um, I'm, I'm so glad I finally let God come completely into my life. I had to change a lot of, slowly I ended up changing um, who I was. I stopped attending a Catholic church and that's a whole nother, <laughs> a whole nother discussion. But um, I realized at that point that um, God was putting people in my life and he was putting situations in my life that I needed to start paying attention to. And I started to, I, thankfully, I started doing that. And uh, there's many, many different lessons that I've learned from that experience and my whole life uh, experiences. But uh, there's three that I stand out to me the most. And they are, when I put my faith in the Lord, I can forgive myself and I can forgive others because we're all sinners, but we've all been forgiven. All those who believe have been forgiven. And that brings me peace. And when I put my faith in the Lord, I have the strength to deal with any, any circumstance that comes to me. And because... God has given me that strength, and he is my rock, and that gives me peace. And when I put my faith in the Lord, I'm thankful for all the people he has put in my life and all the circumstances in my life, and I know he's always there with me, and I can always lean on him, and that gives me peace. Thank you. Thank you, Tess. Um, I'm not sure, but I think that was a little bit more than two minutes. Might have been more than five. <laughs> but I think it was worth every second. To be able to hear testimonies like that are a real blessing. So now it's time for us to hear from Pastor Larry. Amen. Amen, my love. That was beautiful. Beautiful. Amen. What a, what a blessed man I am to have my, my wife. 
Good morning, everybody. Good to see you. <coughs> Good to see you all. Cynthia's got about four water bottles down here for me. <laughs> I'll just pick one. <laughs> Uh, Bruce, good to see you back. God bless you. Uh, welcome to all of our guests, our special guests. Uh, it's so, so nice to see everybody. We have a couple prayer requests this morning. I just heard as I was walking in that Maddie is on her way down to Fresno. Um, I guess her niece uh, was found um, brain dead. Uh, they're going to pull the plug today or something of that nature. And so we're going to pray for, let's pray for Maddie and uh, that situation. And then also, um, many of you know uh, uh, Butch Paddock, I believe that's how you pronounce his name. His sister passed away this week. So we want to pray for Butch and Ella and the family, okay? All right, let's, let's bow our heads together. Father God, um, we pray for Maddie. Lord, she's on her way down to Fresno right now. And uh, we just pray your peace upon her. Keep her safe on the road. Um, for her niece, Lord, uh, I heard that they're going to pull the plug on her uh, this today. And we just put her in your hands, Lord. Let your Holy Spirit be upon. Let your Holy Spirit be upon her. And uh, you know, we just put her in your hands, Father. And uh, we just pray that you um, be with the family. Uh, as it, it looks like she's going to pass, Lord. So. We just pray your comfort upon the family, Lord, and uh, your strength, and your um, just give them the help that they need, Lord, at this time. Thank you, Lord, and also for Butch, Lord, as his sister has passed away this week, and uh, we pray as well, Lord, that you bring comfort, let your Holy Spirit, the comforter, be upon him, Lord, and his family, Lord, and, and help him just to look to you and to know that you're there, and help us to be the support that we can be as a church, Lord, and as brothers and sisters in Christ. Please uh, watch over him and give them strength, Father, and comfort. And we thank you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Amen this morning. And thank you, Jacob, for the beautiful uh, visual you gave us today. Our, uh, our, our, you know, as we're continuing in our journey through the Gospel of John, uh, we're going to be looking at John 2 in just a little bit, so you might get ready for that. Uh, we're going to take a look at Jesus in uh, Cana at the wedding, the wedding in Cana. Um, weddings are great times of celebration and great times of, uh, uh, of excitement, and it takes plenty of planning and preparation and perspiration, <laughs> as my wife knows very well. Uh, for, for to, to make it work, you know, to put a wedding together. My wife did pretty much, I just had to show up. <laughs> Tess put it all together. She put the, uh, she had a theme, as, as, you can, as you might think, as it might not surprise you from her testimony this morning, her theme for our wedding was trees, okay? And the, uh, the scripture passage was Colossians, that was our theme, Colossians 2, 6, and 7, that talks about being rooted and and built up in Christ like a tree. So uh, that was our theme. And uh, for the reception, for the reception, we had, instead of having people sign a guest book, we took, uh, we took their fingerprints. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> Let me explain. <laughs> Tess had this 
Ted has this, Tess had this great idea. Uh, she had a, a, a print made of, a, of an oak tree, you know, picture print with, uh, with bare uh, uh, branches. And the guests of our wedding would put their thumbprint in, a, in um, an ink, ink pad. We had different colored ink pads. And with that thumbprint, they would put it on one of the branches. So the thumbprints were the, the leaves of the tree. So the different colored thumbprints were the leaves of the tree to, to show all who were there. And so we have that tree with all the thumbprints hanging on our bedroom wall. And uh, it's a blessing. It's a blessing. It was a, my wife is a very creative, if you haven't found out yet, a very creative person. And uh, we had a very creative wedding, a joyful wedding. You know, weddings are a time of joy, aren't they? Uh, gathering of family and friends. And uh, so at this wedding in Cana, Jesus came as a friend. Uh, the Bible is going to tell us, as we're going to read it in just a minute, he was invited. Him and his disciples were invited as a friend. So he came to give his, his um, support. He came as a friend. And um, this was shortly after Jesus had been baptized by John the Baptist. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Jesus was baptized, and he began his three years of public ministry leading up to the cross. Now, at this occasion, at this wedding, Jesus performed, as many of you might know, his first miracle. And as the Apostle John tells us, and every time he talks about Jesus' miracle, he talks about it as a sign. Every miracle Jesus performed was a sign and had a deeper meaning, a deeper spiritual truth to it. So if you're ready to read, uh, we'll take a look at John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. So if, you, if you're able and willing, if you can stand with me. And I'm going to read from John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. The wedding at Cana. And it says this, give you a minute to get there, John 2, 1 through 11. It's also on our screen, and it says this. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples also had, invited, had been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Dear woman, Jesus said, why do you involve me? My time has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He didn't realize where it had come from, though the servants had, uh, knew who drew, who drew it knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheap wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have brought... You have saved the best for last. This, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed in Cana of Galilee. He thus revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. 
Amen. You may be seated. Amen. Now, Jesus performed this miracle, but he didn't perform it alone, if you'll notice. <clears throat> there were others involved. There were other people involved. They were, they, they were involved. They were taking part. They were cooperating because God was using others to display his miraculous work, his miraculous power. God has wants to use us. God wants to use you and he wants to use me in the display of his miraculous powers. And the theme today is this. And you might find an outline in the back of your bulletin. Be part, be part of God's mirac uh, miracle working power. Take part in the process. Let him use you. Let him use you. Uh, Life in, in life in his life-changing ministry. Let him use you in, his, in, in the work that he wants to do. There are supernatural acts. There are supernatural ministries that God wants to perform and, and supernatural effects that he wants to have to open people's eyes to, to see and believe and enter his kingdom. Be part of God's miraculous Miracle working power. We're going to look at three necessities this morning. Three necessities for being part of God's miracle working power. And the first necessity is this. To be a part of his miracle working power, participate, participate in the lives of others. All right? Participate. Put yourself out to mix with others. Step out a little bit. And, 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 and participate in the lives of others. You know, Christians are, are called to be salt of the earth. Amen? And salt doesn't do much good if it stays in the salt shaker, right? I mean, the salt's got to come out. It's got to mix with whatever it wants to affect. Now, Jesus and his disciples were participating in the lives of people around them. When we participate, we're to do it as a witness of Christ. We're to do it with the love of Christ. And we're to, to do it as a friend. I've already mentioned Jesus came as a friend. Let's take a look. Verse 1 and 2. On the third day of the wedding, Jesus, in the wedding in Cana, Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples were invited. They were friends. This couple, this young couple must have been friends of the family. Because his mother was there, Jesus was there, his disciples were there. They were mixing with others. What does it show you? First of all, it shows you Jesus, the value of friendship to Jesus. It shows you uh, the value of friendship. Jesus were there was, was there to support them, to love them, and to experience uh, the joy of this celebration with him. And it also tells us what, the, what friendship really is. Now, friendship, one of the, the, the meanings of friendship is to participate in the experiences of others. You know, Jesus was there to, was to participate in their joy. And in Jesus' time, the Jews did not have a very easy life. They were, they were in poverty. They were in poverty. They were constantly working hard. So an occasion like this was like a supreme uh, uh, occasion, a supreme occasion of joy and celebration, and, and Jesus came to share in it. He came to share with them in their joy. You know, the Bible says one of the, one of the best ways to love 
others is to participate in their experiences. Romans chapter 12, verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Now, as I mentioned, uh, we just heard this last week, uh, our dear brother Butch Paddock, many of you know him, uh, 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 lost his sister. And I noticed on our prayer chain uh, that so many of you texting your prayers and your condolences and, and sharing with him in his grief. And that's what a true friend does. A true friend experiences, uh, shares in your experiences. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Share in the experiences of others. Jesus was sharing in the experience of this wedding, the joy of this wedding. Participate. Participating as a friend, participating aware of their needs. If you look at verse 3, we're talking about participating in the lives of others. Mary, Jesus' mother, was the first one to recognize the need. She's the first one that saw the, 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 the wine, what does it say, verse 3? She says, it says, the wine was gone, and Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. You know, festivities like this in the ancient times could last about a week. They could last as long as a week. The weddings during Bible times, I mean, they would spend the week celebrating the new life of this young couple. They would sing love songs uh, praising this young couple. They would give speeches honoring this young couple. They would uh, sing. They would have uh, music and group dancing with tambourines and, uh, you know, celebrating the life of this young couple. And that's what Jesus was there to do as well. He was celebrating. But he became aware, and his mother became aware of the needs. Because at a banquet, as you can imagine, a banquet that long... Uh, you know, it takes a lot of accommodation. I mean, be, let's, be fr let's be frank, it takes a lot of money, <laughs> right? I mean, you, you, it takes a lot of finances, it takes a lot of planning, and the groom was the responsible. He was to show his financial responsibility by taking care of everybody, right? Now, for the wine to run out, for the wine to run out in an occasion like this, uh, was, was, was not good. It didn't look good for the groom. This was considered uh, actually a very serious offense. This was more than just embarrassing. This was considered poor hospitality. And in the ancient Near East, hospitality was a sacred duty. It was a sacred duty. But you know what? Hospitality is also a sacred duty for Christians today. Amen. First Peter chapter 4, verse, verse 9, it says this, Practice hospitality ungrudgingly toward one another. It's a, it's a command from God, and he says to do it ungrudgingly. In other words, don't grumble about it. Consider it a privilege to, to offer your hospitality. Uh, give your hospitality. What does the word hospitality mean? Well, the biblical word for hospitality literally means love of strangers. And you know what? You know, the church is the perfect place to practice that. Uh, well, I remember, Tess and I remember the first day we came 
ministry at a Calvary Baptist church. And we sat, where did we sit, love? I think, yeah, right in the back over there. And there was three ladies in front of us uh, that gave us so much hospitality, Margie, uh, Donna, Joyce. And uh, they talked to us. They uh, welcomed us. They, they, they were so hospitable. And then Tess reminded me on our way out, Ginger, Ginger gave us a, a, what was it, a, a, a gift bag. And uh, Ginger was such a gifted greeter. And so that was just what we needed. You needed that friendship, that hospitality. And, we, and, 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 and you know, uh, we needed that. And we, we never stopped coming. <laughs> Amen? 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 I want to encourage us. I want to encourage us as a church, to continue, to continue in that kind of hospitality, that sacred duty, amen, as a church. Be a church that practices hospitality. If you see somebody new, you know, give them a smile. That might be just what they need. Somebody said, if you see somebody with a smile, doesn't have a smile, give them yours, huh? Right, right, right. Give them a smile. Give them a greeting. Give them a, you might give them a good uh, uh, friendship, friendly conversation, just like me and, just like the ladies did for me and Tess. Practicing hospitality, letting people know you love them, letting them know because people be aware of their need, their need for Christian love, their need for Christian friendship, their need for Christian hospitality. Mary was aware. Mary was aware of the need. This poor, this poor groom, I'm sure her heart went out for him. You know, she wanted to see this be a success for him and for his wife. And so she told Jesus. Now, she probably wasn't expecting Jesus to do a miracle because he hadn't done a miracle yet. But she probably expected him to do something to help. She knew her son. But here's the thing. She was acting as a friend to help a friend in need. What's that old phrase? A friend in need is a friend indeed. Amen. And the only reason Mary was aware of the need is because she was participating in the lives of others. She was close enough to know what the need was. As we participate in the lives of others, uh, we're to be uh, participate as a friend, participate aware of, uh, uh, of their needs. All right. Secondly, not only are we to participate in the lives of others, but secondly, we are to perform the deeds he tells you. Now, Mary, Mary made it known to Jesus what this need was. Now, the thing is, the way Jesus responded was kind of peculiar, honestly. If you look at verse 4, if you look at verse 4, it's a little puzzling. Je you, you think of Jesus, why would he tell Dear woman, he said, why do you involve me? My time has not yet come. Jesus, um, but you know what? Mary knew her son. She knew her son and she knew he would do something. She knew he would do something. So she told the servants, which were waiting the tables, verse 5, she told the servants, do whatever he tells you. She, had, she knew he'd do something. Do whatever he tells you. We're talking about performing the deeds that he tells you. In other words, <clears throat> perform those deeds that he tells you. This was a crisis situation for the groom. 
you know, we're not told if he knew about it, the wine running out, but if he did, I mean, I'm sure he was in a panic mode. This was a crisis, this was a problem, this was a need, but you know what? When others are in the times of crisis, when others are in times of having problems, when others are in time of need, those are opportunities for the Christian to minister. Amen? Amen. To minister to those crises, to those problems, to those needs with the love of God and with the power of God. Jesus wants to use us in his miracle, miracle working power. In his miracle working power. So then, but when we obey him, when we, when, when, when we do uh, what, what, he call, what he's calling us to do, when we follow his direction, it's important to do it in his time. What's the rest of that verse 4? What did Jesus say? It's not yet my time. Very important words. It's not yet my time. The word time there can also be translated as, as hour. You see, God's son Jesus uh, his life was planned before the foundation of the world. Did you know that? Jesus' life was planned and, and his, uh, all of what he would do it was planned. He was on a divine timeline. And it was an inevitable, his destiny was inevitable, led to the cross. His destiny was his death, his burial, and his resurrection to, to reveal his heavenly glory. To reveal his heavenly glory. You know, when Jesus went on the very last week uh, of his life on earth, before he went to the cross, he, he, went, he, he rode on a donkey, you remember? He rode on a donkey's colt into Jerusalem. And at, at that time, Jesus said these words. He said, this hour, John 12, 23, this hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. In other words, this was the time. This was the time. He knew his mission. He says, for this reason, as he talked about going to the cross, for this reason, I came to this hour. And this is what he was thinking about, looking toward when he told his mother Mary, my time has not yet come. It was not yet time for him to be fully glorified. Jesus was on a timeline. Timeline of God. Do you know what? God had a timeline for Jesus, and God has a timeline for you, and God has a timeline for me. Psalms chapter 31, verses 14 and 15, the psalmist David says it this way, but as for me, I trust in you, O Lord, I say you are my God, my times are in your hand. We have a timeline. God has a timeline for each of our lives. He wants to work through us. And he wants to, he, he, he wants to work through us. And he wants to do it in his time. You know, the statement I just quoted from Psalms chapter 14, uh, 34, 14, and 15 is talking about trusting God with your whole life, putting your whole life in his time. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 says, for everything there is a time, for everything there is a season. There's a time. There's a time. 
thing, there are things God wants to accomplish in you and through you, but he ha- he's got to do it in his time. There are things that God wants you to do, but he wants you to do it in his time. It's important to do it in his time, and, and it, that takes wisdom. It takes wisdom to know the proper time. It takes wisdom to know the proper uh, uh, procedure. It takes wisdom to know the proper time that God wants to work through you as you do what you tell him to do. Listen to these words, Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verses 5 and 6. Ecclesiastes 8, verses 5 and 6 says, The wise heart will know the proper time and procedure. For there is a proper time and a procedure for every matter. Do God's deeds in God's time. Amen? To do the deeds he tells you, you need to be listening. Listening to his voice, paying attention to his words, hearing his spirit speak. Be part of God's miracle working power by performing the deeds he tells you in his time. In his time. Not only performing in his time, but obeying with care. Obeying what he tells you with care. In other words, be careful to obey everything he tells you. Jesus was a creative thinker. Did you know? Of course, he's a creator. But Jesus was a creative thinker, and he wants us to be creative thinkers. So when Mary told him they had no more wine, he started looking around. And he saw... Something that might be just right for the occasion. Okay. He saw, what did he see? He saw those six jars. Now, those were not small jars. Those jars, those were more like barrels. They could hold 20 to 30 gallons. And he gave some instructions to the servants. He gave some instructions to the servants. Now, those servants that Mary spoke to were were, were standing near, because Mary told them, do what he tells you to do. So they were standing near. They were paying attention. They were listening to what he would say. Verse 7. Verse 7, Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. Fill the jars with water. So they got their orders. They They got their orders, and they went to work. They said, well, if Jesus says fill them, we got to fill them. I mean, you know, so they didn't, you know, they want to do everything he says. So they filled it. They didn't leave any room on top. Bible says they filled it to the brim. They filled it to the brim. They wanted to obey with care. Obey with care. Everything he told them with care. You know, these, uh, the, the, these servants were performing the, the work in preparation, in per- preparation for God's, for Jesus' miracle. You know, God gives us the privilege of being co-workers with Christ, uh, co-workers with Jesus in, in, in the preparing for his, his miracles. There's no greater privilege than to be used by Jesus Christ to do what he calls us to do. The Apostle Paul said it this way, Romans chapter 15, verses 18, he says, I will not presume to speak about anything but what Christ has accomplished through me. And Christ accomplished some great things, amen, through the Apostle Paul, and he wants to accomplish it through you. If you perform the deeds he tells you, perform, perform the deeds he tells you, perform them with care. 
He's looking. He was looking. And Jesus is looking now. He's looking at who he can use. He's looking at who is willing. He's looking at who is available. You know, the only ability Jesus wants from you is your availability. Ah. He wants somebody to say, Lord, I'm available. Use me. Please use me. I want, I want to be used by you. The work Jesus did with his servants was a work of preparation. He was preparing for this miracle. They had the privilege of working with Jesus. They had the privilege of preparing for his miracle-working power. Mary wanted Jesus to help this wedding be a success. She wanted it to be a, a wedding where the wine didn't run out. Mm. Jesus had other, she, she wanted, she, Jesus had others working with him to make it happen. You know, when Tess and I had our wedding, we had a lot of people working with us to make it happen. Mostly Tess's friends. <laughs> she, had, she had a friend, we had a lot of friends helping. She had a friend, a friend that uh, made the, uh, the unity candle. She had a friend that made the cake. She had a friend that sang the, the, uh, the, 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 the special song. Of course, I had, I had friends too. But, <laughs> but we were all, they were all working together. Some of my friends were there. We were all working together to, to make it happen. But you know what? It was all a work of preparation. It was a work of preparing for, 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 for us to get married, to be married, to be united as husband and wife. You know, I was 61 years old. Uh, this is the first time I've ever been married. You know, I know I had family members that were saying, maybe they said in there, in there silently, but they said, it's a miracle! <laughs> prepare, prepare to do, to do the works he tells you, as you to be part of God's miracle working power. So then, not only are you to participate in the lives of others as Jesus did. Not only are you to perform the deeds he tells you just like these servants were doing, but third and finally, produce the fruit, the fruit of faith. Produce the fruit. Now comes the evidence of the miracle. Now comes the miracle. Let's take a look. Verse 9. It says, And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He didn't realize where it had come from Though the servants knew, Jesus performed the miracle. The servants, the, the servants uh, that, that worked with Jesus, that uh, did what he told them to do, are examples for believers today. Of, of, of those who accept Christ as Lord and receive his word and follow his word. When we act by faith and obedience to Christ's commands, he indwells you, he fills you, and he works through you to accomplish his work. His work. Jesus was working. Jesus was working. You know, when you receive Jesus Christ, when you, when you accept him as Lord, there's something that happens on the inside. It's called a transformation. It's a fruit of transformation. You know, Jesus took these, every miracle that Jesus performed had a meaning. John knew that. And John said this. Every time he, I mean, he called it a miraculous sign. An example. When Jesus performed the miracle of feeding the 5,000 with just a few loaves of bread, John chapter 6, Jesus uses that occasion to talk about himself as the bread of life. That whoever believes in him has eternal life. 
Now, the wine. The wine. Jesus used these wine jars, and the wine jars themselves had a meaning. He turned the water into the wine. The, the wine is a symbol of Jesus' blood. The blood that purifies us from our sins. Now, these wine jars were used, if you look at verse 6, they were used for ceremonial washing. This was a purification rite, a ritual that the Jews did for hundreds and hundreds of years. It was a part of the Old Testament system of ceremonial law. Jesus was saying this. The ceremonial law is now being replaced with the blood of Christ. If you want to be pure, if you want to have your relationship right with God, you've got to have the blood of Christ. So the, the water into wine symbolizes the blood of Jesus, the replacement of the old system with the new. Like the water converted to wine, sinners now are converted to saints. <laughs> You know, sinners become saints. We become new creations. We're born again. The Bible says it this way, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. If any man's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is past. Behold, all things have become new. You know, the most important miracle is the miracle of new life in Christ. You know, having, having a miraculous healing of your physical sickness is a blessing, but it doesn't save you. The only miracle that saves you is a miracle of new birth. New birth in Jesus Christ. New birth in Jesus Christ. The bearing the fruit of transformation. Bearing the, for the glory of God. Bearing that fruit. Not only is it bearing the fruit of faith, bearing the fruit of transformation, but it's bearing the fruit that reveals His glory. Verse 10. The uh, master of ceremonies or the master of the banquet, called the groom. Called him aside, and he, and, he said, and he said this. He says in verse 10, you know, everyone brings out the choicest wine first, and then the cheapest wine, but you've done this the opposite. You brought out the best last. Now, the word choice there can also, it's translated more literally as good. That's a word that's used a hundred times in the New Testament. It means to express beauty, completeness, and balance. It's a quality. And the quality of that wine, that, that the wine that they were tasting now, was much better than the wine they tasted before. The quality of Jesus in your life should be much better than without him. Having the quality of life of Jesus Christ. The new wine. He's the new wine, the new life. If you believe in Jesus, you should be bearing the fruit of his glory. Chapter, John chapter five, 15, if you'd like to turn with me, it's just a few chapters over. John chapter 15 and verse 5, Jesus is the vine, amen? He is the vine. He's the source of the wine. He not only is the wine, he's the, he's the source of that wine. Look at verse 5, cha John chapter 15, verse 5, bearing fruit. Jesus says, I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. See, our lives should be bearing the fruit that glorifies God. Not only our lives, not only the lives we live, but our prayer life. 
should be glorifying to God. Let's continue on. Verse 7 to 8. Jesus speaking says, You remain in me. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. Bearing the fruit of faith. Bearing the fruit of faith. You know, going back now to to, to John 2, when the disciples, uh, verse 11, when the disciples saw the miracle, when the disciples saw the miracle, it bore in them the fruit of faith. It says it this way. Chapter 2, verse 11 of John, it says... He thus revealed his glory and his disciples put their faith in him. It confirmed what they had been hearing, what he'd been saying, who he was, so they could put their faith in him and follow him and be part of his miracle-working power. Be part of God's miracle-working power first, by participating in the lives of others, sharing in their experiences, in their experiences, practicing hospitality. Second, perform the deeds he tells you. Perform it in his time. And perform it as a way of preparing for him to do his work. Third, produce the fruit of faith, the, the transforming of the, on the inside, the bearing fruit of his spirit within you. You know, when my wife so beautifully did, our, she, I mean, she worked, I tell you, six months on, on the decorations for the wedding, and she had uh, trees all over the hall there uh, at, the, at the reception, and she had a, a wooden, carved wooden tree at the, uh, at the wedding table. And, uh, you know, the, uh, the tree, a tree grows strong when its roots are strong and when it's nourished. When we're rooted in Christ, And when we're rooted in his word, we live in his power to be part of his miracle work that he wants to do in you and through you. Be part of his miracle working power. Amen? Let's pray. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for for your word that that, that instructs us, Lord, that what you want us to do and who you want us to be. Thank you, Lord, for this uh, occasion in Jesus' life and the lessons that you've, you've, ha- you've given us, Lord. Help us to live them out. Help us to live them out, Lord, uh, to, to, to be the representatives you want us to be, the, uh, the, the hospitable, uh, obedient, uh, fruit-bearing Christians that you want us to be, Lord. Give us the strength Give us the vision. Give us the wisdom to do it all and to do it in your time. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray.